Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. A lot has been going on in the baseball world, even in these cold early weeks of January. And I will spend some time talking about all of it on the radio in the next couple of weeks, from sign stealing to the Hall of Fame to the start of spring training right around the corner. I'll be co-hosting Hot Stove Radio Shows on WFAN with Ed Coleman on Tuesday nights, January 28th and February 4th. Both shows from 6.30 to 10 p.m. Lots of Yankees talk, Mets talk. And those other topics, hope you get a chance to tune in, call in, or both. On this episode of 30 with Murdy, a conversation with journalist Lindsay Berra. If her last name sounds familiar, she is indeed the granddaughter of the legendary Yogi Berra, the daughter of Yogi's eldest son, Larry Berra Jr. Lindsay has worked for ESPN the magazine, MLB.com, and several other outlets over the years, and she spent time profiling two of the more interesting people hired by the Yankees this winter, Eric Cressy and Rachel Balkovec. Cressy was recently named as the Yankees Director of Player Health and Performance. That is a newly created position, part of the overall of the medical and training staff in the wake of the injury-filled 2019 season. Lindsay has spoken with Eric Cressy many times over the years and has even worked out with him at his Cressy Sports Performance Center outside of Boston. His influence on many players, how they train and what they gain, all part of my conversation with Lindsay that you'll hear. Another person the Yankees hired that falls into the outside-the-box category is Rachel Balkovec, the first female hitting coach in the organization. Balkovec, who will be based in Tampa, is someone else Lindsay has known for several years, and she profiled Balkovec for the New York Times last month. Some insights into her background and her personality in this conversation with Lindsay as well. And since Lindsay also serves on the board at the Yogi Berra Museum in Montclair, New Jersey, we discussed a great new exhibit at the museum called Discover Greatness, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. That includes a screening of the movie The Other Boys of Summer this Friday, January 24th. And for those of you who loved and miss Yogi Berra like I do, Lindsay was fortunate enough to call that great man Grandpa. And we get some fun stories about Yogi from the granddaughter perspective. All of that and more in this episode of 30 with Murdy, featuring professional writer Lindsay Berra. Lindsay, let's start with Eric Cressy. You have written a lot about uh, injuries, recovery, fitness, things like that. And Cressy, who the Yankees recently hired, is somebody you have actually talked to a lot over the years. What do you know about him? What do you think about his ideas and, and what he does and, and what he's going to bring to his new role with the Yankees? I first met Eric um, back in 2010 or 11. I, I did a story at ESPN that was the first real big look at the Tommy John surgery epidemic in baseball, and Eric was one of the guys that I, I used as a source on, on that story, and I reported that thing for you know over a year. Um he, so I met him uh, up at his place in Massachusetts, um, and I actually worked out with him there a few times. That was when I first started getting to know him. Then I went to MLB and started writing a lot more about injuries, and I would always bounce a lot of stuff off of Eric. He's so smart about the biomechanics of, of pitching, but of everything else. If I wanted to talk to him about lat injuries in a, in a pitcher or, um, you know, Hunter Pence getting a, a hamstring injury running down the first first baseline, and Eric would give me the talk about eccentric loading of the hamstrings and why it's important to have them strengthened and, and, and warmed up 
he's just so knowledgeable about every part of your body and how it applies to the biomechanics of baseball and the things that you do in baseball, running and, and swinging and pitching and sliding and catching your thumb on a on second base to tear your UCL, and he'll talk to you about the valgus stress on the UCL in your thumb as well as he'll talk to you about the valgus stress on the UCL in your arm when, you, when, when you're a pitcher. He's just super, super knowledgeable. Um, I saw him. I did a workout with him uh, and Corey Kluber, who has trained with him for a number of years, and really saw the little exercises that he was doing to strengthen Corey's arms, but then the big exercises that he did to strengthen Corey's entire body. I think he has a very comprehensive approach that is progressive without being super risky, and I think it's a smart uh, hire by the As you've gotten to know him and talk to him and see his ideas at work, did you ever wonder why a team hadn't hired him before? Yeah, I, I wonder that with a lot of the really good independent strength coaches uh, in, in the industry. I think that baseball is just pretty set in its ways and does things the way it always has. And they tend to kind of hire from within. And, and a lot of these people that are on the outside and sort of claim to be a guru in something or are thought of as gurus are still a little bit scary to, to baseball. So, again, it's good to see that the Yankees are kind of taking a step in a new direction. Yeah, so what what do you think of his ability to not not connect with just individual players in workouts, but you know, working for a team in an organization and kind of bringing his ideals to an entire group? Um, I think he has a lot of experience working with a very uh, diverse group of athletes. He's worked with a lot of big leaguers in the off seasons and tons of minor leagues, so minor leaguers, so a lot of professional um, uh, baseball players but he's also worked with athletes in other sports. He works with a lot of kids. Um, So as far as developing a a comprehensive approach for a large group of athletes, I think that that's great. Um, I I don't know how often he will be around to actually implement that stuff himself or if he'll be doing that with the training staff at at the Yankees because, you know, this is the thing that you get with the Kyle Bodies and the Eric Cressies of the world. They, They have businesses that they run, and I have no idea what they've worked out with the teams themselves with how much time they're going to be spending with the team and how much time they'll be spending with their with their business. So it'll be interesting to see how he implements that within the system, but I'm sure that his overall plan will be an improvement. Yeah, I've kind of nerded out to some of his podcasts here, listening to him talk about some of these things, and a lot of it's over my head, but you know, um, he seems to have a real passion for it. Do you think he's going to have the ability to kind of you know, for lack of a better phrase, dumb it down for, for the athletes to make sure that they're they're put in all the right positions to do what they have to do? Yes, I actually think that that's something that Eric is very good at, which is why I always like to use him as a, as a source, because his podcast, I think, is geared towards strength and conditioning professionals who speak that jargon. But when I needed to quote him in an MLB story that was going to be read by, you know, Joe Fan, he was always very able to to not dumb things down, but put it into terms that made a lot of sense uh, for me and, and for readers. So I think as far as communicating what needs to be done to players, he's, he's, he'll be very good. Eric Cressy isn't the only outside-of-the-box hire the Yankees or even other teams have made um, recently. And I, I, it's showing a shift in how teams think of who can help them and their players perform. It used to be if you didn't play Major League Baseball, you couldn't coach Major League Baseball, Well, uh, or even Minor League Baseball. 
And you wrote the story last month about someone you've known for a while who the Yankees hired very recently, Rachel Balkovec. Uh, and yes, it's a woman. She was hired as a hitting coach in the Yankees organization. You've known her for a long time. What do you? What can you tell fans about her? Rachel, I met uh, back in 2014 when she was the uh, minor league strength and conditioning coordinator for the Cardinals. She did that for a little bit, and then she went on and was in the same or similar position with the Houston Astros. She was doing a lot with their uh, Dominican and Latin uh, players because she speaks Spanish. Um, then she decided to take a step away from baseball. She went to uh, Amsterdam and got a second master's at a big sports science uh, institute there. She's been doing a lot of work with eye tracking and, and, and a lot of really cool biomechanics stuff. This is her second master's degree. Rachel is someone, her, her background was in strength and conditioning. She was a collegiate softball player, so she's no stranger to um, swinging a bat. And the strength and conditioning background makes her very well versed in biomechanics in the same way that, that uh, Eric Cressy is. And I think that, first of all, yay for the Yankees for, for stepping outside the box and making two very progressive hires. I think that you're right. We are at a point where, you, first of all, the people who have played baseball, they may be really good at, them, at it themselves, but they're not always the best at explaining how to be good at it to other people. And I think people that study movement for a living are often very good at articulating what guys need to do to improve this you know, sequence of events that happens in their body that leads to a great swing or a great uh, pitching motion. And Rachel is one of those people, like, like Eric, that will be very uh, well able to do that. They're also just so up on the science and the advancements and um, using all the tools that are available to us in 2020 to help athletes be better, as opposed to just looking at them and assessing with your own eyes, which has its place. Yeah, I want to get back to that in a second, but you wrote about Rachel's hiring for the New York Times, uh, and you know because you've known her, I think you, you get a, a good feel for her, a better feel for her than, than we would. Did, you know, she's obviously very bright. Did she come across to you as very confident, very nervous, or both, considering the position she's going to be in now? I, I think Rachel, she's, she's obviously very excited about the opportunity, but she is a very confident uh, person. She, it's actually really funny. I remember when I tweeted the story, someone, a, a Twitter troll, commented on the story and said, <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see how she, um, you know, if she can swing that heavy bat and show these guys how to hit. And another person took a clip of Rachel. Rachel is um, a, a very tall, very strong woman. She lifts all the time. She's a power lifter. And there was a uh, video of her doing a power clean and jerk on the Internet that had to have been with at least 165 pounds. And she just popped it up to her shoulders, popped it over her head. And the person on Twitter said, yeah, I'm pretty sure that 31-ounce bat isn't going to be the problem. Um, she, is a, she is a strong, confident woman who is, is very smart and has many, many years of education to back up um, the experience that she has on the field. She's been working in baseball. She, she started with the White Sox back in like 10 or 11, so she's, she's got, you know, eight or nine solid years of working in professional baseball already. 
Um, not that that makes, you know, anybody an expert because there's certainly people who have worked for longer, but she does have some experience in professional baseball. She's very confident in her subject matter, and she's a confident person to begin with, and, and I know she's very much looking forward to the opportunity. Yeah, tying this back into the thought we had just a moment ago, you know, coaching has become a lot less about what the coach has accomplished in his life and his career, and it's more about what can you do to help the player. That's really, that's the main job. It always has been. But I think people have lost sight of how to get there. Uh, so what do you think, based on what you know about Rachel and, and how you've observed her, uh, how, do the, how do the players respond to her? And, and what, kind of, what kind of back and forth is there between the players and her as far as making, you know, just making them better and them accepting the fact that she can make them better? So I think that, that what I saw when I did the Cardinals piece with her, there are a lot of players who have a fundamental problem with a woman telling them what to do. And now that the Yankees have hired her, you hope that there is an organizational buy-in where they say, this is the woman that we've hired and we think she can help you and you better listen to her. So, so you hope that they've set that, that tone and they won't be jerky to her just because she is a woman. The back and forth that I saw between her and players um, in, in the Cardinals administration when she was teaching them how to do lifts and, and how to take care of their bodies and all these things was tremendous. She even had, um, she, had the, she made it like her own personal goal to teach the Dominican players more English, and it was helpful for her in the weight room because she was then able to give them better cues to make their movement patterns better. And she had this really cool poster of Yadier Molina up on the wall and they, she made these magnets with body part names uh, in English, and she would have the Latin kids come and like, sort of pin the tail on Yachty, put <laughs> knee on knee and back on back and shoulder, and she, she took it upon herself to make them, them better, even in the language department, and they really responded to that. They would wait in line for their turn to pin the tail on Yachty. Um, and it, it, you, you saw that in the weight room, you saw that the players knew that she cared about them, and I think that's what players want to feel. They want to feel that the coach has their best interest in mind, and that the coach is, is, is trying to help them and is available to them, and with Rachel, they're 100% going to get that. They just have to be alright with the fact that it's coming from a woman. And listen, that's not anything very small and that's a big thing we've seen players reach the major leagues who still struggle with the english language simply because of of you know how old they were when they when they were brought into organized baseball and what they've been asked to do since then it is a it is a big thing to see someone take their interest uh, at heart right yeah. there because it's all about them this is not th- that has nothing to do with the coach that's simply what we're talking about lindsay is making the player better in all aspects yeah, and, and making the players feel comfortable. And you're right, a lot of the Latin kids get to the big leagues. Rachel would take the kids food shopping. She would help them get furniture for their apartments. She cared about them as, as humans, you know, as much as she cared about them as, as athletes. And that, I think, comes across a lot. But when you, have, when you have kids who don't speak English, it's so difficult to talk about, you know, you're talking about you listening to Eric Cressy's podcast and not being able to understand the scientific lingo. Imagine a 17-year-old Dominican kid who doesn't speak English trying to listen to that biomechanics lingo. And to be able to break that down into smaller pieces and then put it into their language and make it so they can understand it, the players just really appreciate the effort because it makes them feel at home, it makes them feel comfortable, and they feel like they know what they're doing and they have a plan for this beginning of their career in a whole new world. 
All right, let's shift gears a little bit. Another year at the Yogi Berra Museum in Montclair, New Jersey, and uh, new things are happening there. Uh, You've got, in order to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues, uh, the formula Negro Leagues, there's a special exhibit at the museum and some other events regarding that. What can you tell people about it? So this exhibit we have is, is really cool. I've seen it probably, I don't know, 35 times already, and I don't ever get bored of it. It is commemorating the 100th anniversary of the Negro League. As you said, it is on loan from the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. It's 100 uh, black and white photos of Negro League players through the years, many of them players who went on to become major league stars like um, Roy Campanella and uh, Jackie Robinson, Monty Irvin, uh, Larry Doby. Um, but the cool thing that we've done with this exhibit is we have this augmented reality experience where you give the kids or the visitors an iPad and you can hold the iPad over the photo and it turns the photo from black and white into color. And when you watch a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old who basically looks at black and white photos as if they should be the Civil War. They have no relevance in these kids' minds. When you watch them hold the the iPad over that and colorize the photo, their whole face comes to life, their body language changes. Um, It looks like the photo could have been taken yesterday as opposed to something that's completely alien to them. So it's really neat to see that. We have educational programming surrounding the uh, the, the exhibit that uh, talks about racial inequality in the Negro Leagues and applies it to contemporary issues of racial uh, equity and social justice, how we got from point A to point B. So we're using the exhibit to really continue the current conversation about race with these with these kids, and it, it, it's really neat. Are there any um, you know workshops or, or forums or stuff like that planned throughout the course of the year to, to coincide with this? We have a screening of a Negro League documentary, uh, the name of which is escaping me at the moment. I could find out in one second. Um, on Friday night, uh, January 24th. And then there will be other uh, programming coming out as the exhibit is around. Uh, we have it on display, I think, through June. Uh, February being Black History Month, there will be definitely uh, additional programming. And as we have that, it'll all be announced on yogibarremuseum.org. Well, make sure uh, I'll send all the information out to people uh, at the end of this as well. Um, the museum's still kind of a really fun place. Right? I mean, it's not all that big, and you've been there, you know, I don't know, through through that a thousand times. But it's still fun to go through, isn't it? I, I think it's really fun to go through. I love talking about my grandpa and his legacy and all the really cool stuff that he did on the field. For me, the yogiisms are funny, and they make people laugh. But at the end of the day, I think the yogiisms transcended how good of a player he was. And when you walk people through the museum and show them those three MVP plaques, um, I, I love to, to point, you know, he won his first MVP in 51, but I think 1950 was his best year. And I tell people that in 1950 he had 656 plate appearances and he hit 322 with 124 RBIs and 28 home runs and he only struck out 12 times. <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. just gasped. Like, it, yeah. it's amazing. So I, I like to get them into the museum, and I think they're going to hear about this funny guy who was a really good human and served this country in the war. But I love to drop the the stat knowledge bombs on them and watch their their you know heads explode. You know, he caught he caught both ends of double headers 
Thursday night doubleheaders 117 times in his career. 18 innings, 117 times. It's like, let me see you do that, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the 12 strikeouts, I, I bring that one back. And you've probably seen it like on Twitter a couple of times a year when when I watch somebody strike out, you know, 10 times in a doubleheader or uh, in a in a weekend series. And I just remind people that, you know, in this happened in 15 at bats or 20 at bats where Yogi struck out 12 times in 600 something at bats. Yeah. It's, it's uh, And yeah. you're talking about someone who was not known for his pitch selection, right? So right. Swinging at Bad ball hitter. That are at the top of the speed, that are at, at the top of his head. And, I mean, I remember he used to tell me I was a sucker for the high outside uh, pitch playing softball. And he would say, if it looks good to you, it's okay to swing at it, but you got to shorten your swing and go the other way. You can't try to hit a high outside fastball over the left field fence as a right-handed hitter. So he just he, he, the way he talked about hitting and what he could do with his hands and, and, and his body on those pitches that were in such ridiculous places is absolutely amazing to me. Hey, uh, the last few years you guys have done something different. The Yogi Berra Awards are they uh, still on the docket this year? And what uh, what can you tell people about them? Um, every year we do have a Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center Awards dinner. Uh, this year it is April twentieth uh, at the Plaza Hotel. I believe that that's a Monday night. We're going to see how it goes on the uh, Broadway dark night uh, in the city. Um, we've not yet nailed down all of the award winners, but again, April 20th at the Plaza, and there's always more information as well on that at www.yogibarramuseum.org. Yeah, it's a great way to, you know, not that anybody ever has trouble remembering Yogi Berra's name, but, you know, between the museum, the awards, there, there are different, more current ways to kind of keep his name out there. Yeah, I agree, and I think it, it's really important to us um, you know, the awards honor people for their humanitarianism. For, uh, we give a best teammate award. Um, it um, honors people for, 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 you know, public service and, and, and leadership, which were grandpa's values that we really do want to pass on to a next generation of baseball fans and, and non-baseball fans because there's a right way to treat people, and we think grandpa was the embodiment of that, and we want people to see that. But it also does help us keep his name out there for the next generation of baseball fans who maybe then go and ask their dads, hey, who is this guy, Yogi Berra? What was so good about him? And just kind of keep the conversation going. You, know, you mentioned some of the people's reactions as they walk through the museum, some of the kids, they walk through the museum and see pictures. Uh, you're lucky enough to have a, just a slew of great pictures of your grandfather, both in uniform and at home with family. Um, I'm wondering what some of your favorite pictures are that you know, maybe you, you brush past in the museum and you have to stop at every single time because it just speaks to you in a different way. Uh, my favorite picture in the museum is probably it's from a Life magazine photo shoot in the early 50s, and it's uh, my grandmother's in this um, beautiful strapless plaid dress that I would kill to have right now. My <laughs> grandfather's just looking at her like she's the apple of his eye, which, which she was. Um, I love to see the, the pictures of my grandparents as, you know, young people who... I didn't get to meet, you know, I mean, they're, they're, when, when, when we meet our grandparents, they're older people, right? And you have this idea of them in, in your head, but to be able to see them young to me is just, I, I'm so enamored with all of those photos. And anytime I find a video, it's one thing to see video of grandpa, like hitting in, in the ballpark or, or running, um, that, that stuff is kind of cool. 
But I remember a few years back, the NHL sent me an archived video of my grandfather at the 1958 Stanley Cup Finals with Phil Rizzuto. And it was a solid three-minute interview of him breaking down this hockey game, talking about, um, you know, Maurice Richard's little brother and and the Bruins, and just to hear him speak for that three minutes of of unbroken speech and the cadence of his speech and his mannerisms and and the way his face moves. It looks just like my brother Larry, which totally creeps me out. But it's really (laughs) cool to be able to see him as a young person. You know, most of us don't get that with our grandparents because video wasn't a thing back then. Yeah, and and it's funny because Yogi Berra is one of the – uh, he's he's unique because he's not just a sports figure that we know like Ted Williams or Mickey Mantle. There He crosses into pop culture, and there are people who don't know a lot about baseball or sports that still recognize who your grandfather was. That's another thing that I find um, super amazing. So I, the, I recently I've tweeted a couple of old commercials that, that Grandpa did, which also kind of brought him into this other side of things and made him a bit of a pop culture icon. There was, a, you know, the Yoohoo commercials. There was a really hilarious cat food commercial because doesn't every baseball star do a cat food commercial? <laughs> um, there were shoe commercials and the Aflac commercial when he's confusing the duck. And there, there's so many, so many of those things. But they do. It, it, it really definitely <laughs> totally cracked me up. And it did bring him to a whole other aspect of society. And then when he passed away, this is the really amazing thing, and it always makes me, you know, sad in a very nostalgic, happy way. When, when he passed away, so many people came up to us and said that they felt like they knew him, they had their own yogi story, whether they had met him or not met him. Um, and people say, they come up to you and they say, I loved your grandfather. And they mean it in the same sense of the word that, that I mean it when I say I love my grandfather. And to know that that many people felt that way about him is a really amazing thing. It's funny, just hearing you say Aflac reminds me of the story Joe Torre told one day. <laughs> yeah. uh, you probably heard it. I'd tell, tell it to other people. When um, when uh, Yogi came to spring training and he had told Joe Torre about a, a new, the commercial he was filming, he said, "What's what was it for? He said, uh, Amtrak. <laughs> it just created something new. All uh, you know, just mixed them all up, and you know the yogiisms never stopped, uh, even in just, just no. regular conversation. The other one that's really great about that, well, Gidry drove him to the airport when he went to do the Atlas commercial, and then picked him up on the, on the way back. And Gator tells a hilarious story about Grandpa getting in the car, and Gator saying, "Hey, yo, how, how'd the commercial go?" And he goes, "You know, Gator, the duck don't talk." <laughs> Ah, that's great. Hey, um, it just occurred to me um, with the, the very recent passing of Don Larson, he was obviously a very uh, big part of, of Yogi Berra history, Yogi Berra Day in 1999. And we saw the highlights of that uh, again very recently. Were you were you and your family, I know your family was a big part of that day, but do you have certain recollections of Yogi Berra Day from 1999? Sure, I was, I was there. Um Yogi Berra Day, I had just graduated from college uh, in, in the spring of 99, and Yogi Berra Day was shortly after that. Um, and my whole family was there. I remember being down in the tunnel during the game, before the game, and then my grandparents went out to sit in the chairs on the field, and my whole family went upstairs. We were in the Steinbrenner box watching, and, you know, we see Don Larson take David Cohn's glove and Grandpa take Joe Girardi's glove and Donnie throws out a, a very nice pitch to Grandpa, which Grandpa caught right at his belly. And they turn around and hand the gloves back to Donnie, or to David and, and Joe. And then 
David throws and throws this perfect game. And I remember being up in the box, and everybody is so nervous, not saying anything as this game gets gets going, people not wanting to get up and use the bathroom, not wanting to get up and get a drink, not wanting to cross their legs the opposite direction. The only <laughs> two people in that box that were talking, and they would not shut up, was Don and Grandpa. <laughs> because I guess they weren't nervous. They had, they had been there before. But um, that that was a pretty incredible thing to watch. The guy that I was dating at the time was with me at the ballpark and actually had to get a, a plane, and he was supposed to leave in the sixth inning, and I was supposed to drive him to the airport. And the sixth inning rolled around, and I said, hey, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take a cab. <laughs> <laughs> so I stayed, I stayed for the end of that game, and that was just, it was a tremendous experience. That's great. And another way that um, I know you keep the, the name alive, the golf outing still continues. Gator and Willie Randolph have taken that over, correct? Yes, Gator, Gator and Willie co-host the golf outing. That is always the first Monday in, in June every year at Montclair Golf Club out here in Montclair, New Jersey. We get a lot of old uh, baseball players, stars, and, and some younger guys as well. We have some hockey players, some football football players. Occasionally it rains, but we make the best of it. It's a really, really fun outing on a really nice course in Montclair. I have been out there a couple of times myself when the schedule works out. I can uh, tell everybody that it is an absolutely uh, fun day and a fun event and for good cause. We'll send everybody the uh, website again, Lindsay, for the museum is what? www.yogibaramuseum.org And once again, Discover Greatness is the exhibit at the Yogi Berra Museum on the campus of Montclair State University in New Jersey. The film is called The Other Boys of Summer, and it screens at the museum on Friday, January 24th. You can go to that website or call 973-655-2378 for more information. My thanks to Lindsay Berra for sharing her insights and some of her personal memories. If you missed our last episode, please visit the archive and check out our conversation with Phil Hughes, the former Yankees phenom who shares stories about his big league career and about some of the great teammates he shared a clubhouse with. And among my guests in the coming weeks are former Yankee second baseman Bobby Richardson, who shares his great memories of great Yankee teams of the late 1950s and early 60s. There are plenty of other great conversations to catch up on in the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.